Welcome to Chalk and Coffee, where you can grab a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever you fancy, and sit back, relax, and join our extraordinary ESL community. Here, you'll meet like-minded educators dedicated to making a difference in the lives of their students and hone your craft. I'm Jacqueline Malay, the host of Chalk and Coffee, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. In our last episode with Martin Chamblay, we talked a little bit about teaching language with a capital L in the second language classroom. And it got me thinking about not only what we teach and how we teach, but how our students access that content. Today's podcast begins a short series on the topic of learning strategies in the ESL classroom. Getting our students to write and write confidently is tough. It requires a toolbox of strategies and skills for them to be able to thoughtfully and accurately communicate. In this first of three episodes, we'll be sharing some strategies to help our students become more confident when tackling the competency of writing. Here to help us deconstruct the idea of learning strategies for writing um, is Dr. Philippa Parks. Philippa Parks has been actively involved in the Quebec ESL community for many years, including giving workshops at our SPEAK conferences and representing Quebec at the Canadian Association of Second Language Teachers, CASLT, which is a great subscription if you are ever looking for one. Uh, she's taught ESL at, at secondary school in Montreal, authored several ESL materials, and she's been a course lecturer in the TESOL programs at McGill and the University of Quebec in Montreal, UCAM. She's recently started her new career as a professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Sherbrooke. Bravo. And her research focuses on second language teacher education, especially helping teachers become more effective and resilient in their teaching practice. So we are very lucky to have her here with us today. Welcome, Philippa. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank you. It's a real honor to be here. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, we're going to jump right in. Um, I was doing a little bit of reflecting on my teaching. It's, you know, the new year and it's time to sort of Take, uh, take stock of everything that went on in the last year. And I've been thinking a little bit about my um, teaching strategies and my students' learning strategies. Um, and I just thought that maybe before we jump into this uh, whole discussion about learning strategies, we could clarify the difference between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a really good question because a lot of my student teachers um, get this <laughs> confused as well. I ask them to put in the kind of teaching strategies that they'll use, and they'll often go to the progression of learning and put in the students' learning strategies. So yeah, it's something that people get confused a lot. But I think the difference is really in the name. So a teaching strategy is how the teacher decides to teach something. When you go into your class, you consciously say, here's how I'm gonna set up my classroom to create a space where the students can learn. So for example, you might decide to do it through direct instruction, um, which is, you know, includes modeling and showing the students what to do. Or you might decide to um, present a problem to the students or create a cooperative learning situation. So that's a teaching strategy, the, the choice you've made in how to teach something. A learning strategy, on the other hand, has the word learner in it. So the focus here is on the person learning something. So it's what the learner does to learn a new skill. So you can teach 
a learning strategy. <laughs> so With lots for, of teaching strategies. Yeah, you can use your <laughs> teaching strategies to teach a learning strategy. So for example, a learner might decide to take notes if that's helpful for them, or if they're not sure, they might ask a partner a question to verify their understanding. So those are learning strategies as opposed to teaching strategies. Great, okay. So now that that's all clarified, we'll, we'll jump in. Mm -hmm. I, we're here today to talk a little bit about um, writing strategies that we can mm -hmm. offer and instruct our students with. And I'm just wondering if you could give us um, some examples of what would be considered, or, or maybe even just talk about what strategies are good or are there strategies that are considered less effective for, mm -hmm. for writers? So, I mean, I think that as teachers, what what our job is, is to give our students a lot of tools for their toolkit, because each student has a different learning style. So as teachers, our best teaching strategy <laughs> is to present them with a range of learning strategies that they can use. So before this interview, I went back to the progression of learning and just skimmed, skimmed through it again. And there's lots of things like um, planning for writing, preparing your resources, um, setting up like cooperation, so sitting with a partner and taking some risks with language, self-evaluating, setting goals, practicing, transferring, semantic mapping, asking for help. All of these are great writing strategies. Is there a, um, is there a definitive list of writing <laughs> strategies out there that exists? Well, the progression of learning doesn't set it out as reading, writing, or listening or speaking strategies. They set them up um, as metacognitive strategies. So, so being aware of your own learning cognitive strategies. So, you know, the, the kinds of things that you do to learn. Um, and then sort of like emotional effective strategies. So they use a different kind of frame to understand it. But a lot of these are crossover too. Like taking a risk is you know, you take a risk with writing, you can take yeah. and, and um, or reusing something, transfer, reusing something you've seen already someone else, like a phrase, and you, and you use it in your own writing. So I don't know if there's a definitive list. I mean, there probably is a definitive list of writing, but a lot of these skills um, can touch on, on different, uh, yeah. sorry, a lot of these strategies can touch on different skills. Yeah, risk taking you do in, in, um, speaking and you do it yeah. and taking on perhaps a more challenging book or, mm -hmm. or yeah, or text. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Not at all. <laughs> so of, of those strategies, are there certain strategies for writing that are more effective for learners to be taught? Um, again, I think it depends on the, the learners themselves. So as a teacher, I would introduce as many of these as possible. I practice it with the students. And then as they as they have a sort of more tools in their toolbox, they can start to pick the ones that are most useful to them. Okay. And some of the most basic ones are um, planning. So figuring out what you're going to write and, and then resourcing what you're going to need to help you get there. Do you need your dictionary? Can you ask your friend? Can you follow a model? um setting i mean they're all they're all great strategies yeah i think if you don't mind deviating slightly i think the writing process is really important to teach to the students too because a lot of those require skills writing skills to be able to do writing strategies to be able to do so you know when you brainstorm your ideas 
that involves cooperating with someone else, exchanging ideas, you know, just letting letting things, writing them down on paper, kind of like a note taking. Then you can use a plan, which is like a graphic organizer, um, taking a risk, inserting some new language as you're writing your draft, um, metacognitively, like deciding what to pay attention to, what kind of mistakes am I going to look for? So the writing process, if you follow that, actually implicitly requires students to use a lot of skills. Okay, so if you are going to be teaching your students or you're, you're working on a writing assignment with your mm -hmm. students or writing task, uh, you would be following the writing process. And mm -hmm. then through the writing process, you are explicitly teaching the kids the different strategies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would do that explicitly the first few times. So I would say, hey guys, we're gonna learn to plan today. Um, and as they as they sort of and we focus on planning and then maybe the next time we're going to talk about um, taking a risk and today I want you to learn to take a risk in this part. Or we're going to set goals or whatever it is, but as we as we progress through the year. Um, I'll ask them as they as they sort of get used to some of these which strategies did you use today, which ones did you find helpful just to encourage them to reflect on their own learning. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. that that encourages them to reuse those strategies or if they haven't used them maybe to think about using them again is that exactly yeah they're, they're becoming more aware writers yes and our goal as teachers i think is to, is to create our our own obsolescence so <laughs> a really successful teacher will have the student not needing them anymore <laughs> by the time now, they leave the classroom mm -hmm. now i remember i mean I remember reading, oof, it was years ago when they when um, they first came out in the Quebec program with all of the strategic teaching information. And they mm -hmm. had talked at a certain point about helping your learners identify their learning strategy deficiencies, I guess, is it, or mm -hmm. their learning strategy um, needs. How, mm -hmm. how would, what does that look like for, for a student? How would you be able to ask a student to think about that? Yeah, I don't know if they they can right away, especially if they're young. Well, actually, at any age, if they've never been exposed to the idea of, of learning strategies, um, they're not going to have the language to be able to identify. So they may be using and, and successful learners in, instinctually use really good learning strategies but they may not be able to say that this is what they're doing. So I think that's why it's important to make that sort of implicit strategy use explicit for them so that they, they un start to understand, oh, yeah, I do that already, or oh, I hadn't even thought about doing that. And maybe, you know, actually this is really helpful. Okay, so for when example, you're doing, if you're doing a task, you're mm -hmm. going to say, we're going to talk about planning today and you're mm -hmm. gonna name it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, because I don't think that you can ask students about their learning strategies if they have no idea what they are. Yeah. <laughs> you have to teach them that language um, and help them recognize what they're doing and, and what they haven't. You don't know what you don't know until you know it. And how, and how would you do that? Does it differ between, for example, younger learners and older learners or novice language learners and more experienced language learners is there how mm -hmm. does it take on a different form i think it's on a continuum um and i think there's never a, a bad it's never a bad idea to really explicitly talk about it at the beginning 
Um, I'll always start off as sort of asking students if they think they know it and then testing them. Um, but I always will start off a year or with a group of students that I don't know, really focusing on explicit teaching of any kind of strategies. Okay. So we name it, we talk about it, I model it, we do it together, um, I watch how they use it, and then we talk about how effective it is, um, and we go back and practice again as need be. You know, I help them sort of figure out what, what worked and what didn't work, and we, we try it again. Okay, and, and would you do something different with the younger kids? Um, to, how would you go about doing that with, with the younger kids? I think with the younger kids or um, students with less in language, so English language, you would have to simplify the language um, and do a lot more modeling. But I, I think the process is still the same. Um, one of the writing strategies I really like for all ages and all abilities <laughs> um, is graphic organizers for, for writing. It's something that I started reading about after I finished teaching high school, which I was really, <laughs> I was thrilled to find it, but disappointed I didn't have it while I was teaching high school. Um, I read an article by Todd Sundin. It was written in 2007 and it's called, So What's the Big Idea? And he is a teacher in California that teaches to learning disabled kids. And his point was, you know, they find it so hard to do just the spelling and grammar and writing out a whole sentence that when they write um, anything longer than a few paragraphs, it comes out, you know, just as a sort of flood of words without any kind of macro structure to it at all. And I think, um, going back to the younger <laughs> readers, I think that the graphic organizers are a really good way to help people take that flood of ideas and, and really start to organize them in a coherent way. So even with little kids, if we can say, um, you know, grade three or four, we typically write a postcard or, you know, a text message. We can, so just the first word is our, our stock phrase of greeting. Hi, how are you? And then our next part is talking about some information about themselves, you know, where I've been, what I'm thinking of, what I'm doing. Um, the next part is, um, you know, how are you doing? And then some kind of closure is usually how we have a sort of a message. And you can cut, you can get them to sort of brainstorm ideas and then slot them into the right place in the graphic organizer. And I could see you right now because you're moving your hands all around. <laughs> I'm such a visual person that uh, maybe this isn't the correct medium. But yeah, and the other thing that that's really fabulous about this article and is um, color coding. Oh, so if you start to, that? yeah, so he used it, he, he was using it to help students write essays, but it's the same kind of, um, it's the same kind of cognitive training that can be used with even with kids in a very young age just to, to help people to start to group ideas together. So you could say to really young kids, let's think of all the animals that we can name. Um, and we put all the pictures of the animals and the words of the animals, and then we kind of group them together. Well, these are animals that are you know, domestic, and these are animals that are wild, and these are, an or you could do it in another way. These are animals that are found in North America. These are animals that are found in Australia. Uh, these are animals that are found in Asia. And you color code them. Okay. And then you could, so if you were gonna do a writing activity, so that's, that's a really good cognitive training, is just to train people to classify and organize things. And then if you're gonna do that as a writing, you could say, 
um, depending on the day in Africa, there are, and then you, you would give the kids that stock phrase as little kids um, and beginners. You provide them with models and you help them to fill in the blank, kind of like Mad Libs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in Africa, there are, and then we could have our, you know, purple group, which is any of the animals from Africa. In North America, there are any of the animals from the green group they can choose, you know. So it really helps them to sort of slot that in and, and organize their ideas. And it I actually even for everybody, it's not just for kids who have learning disabilities or younger kids. It's a exactly organized for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the things I mean, I work with people writing in the master's level and I I do color coding with them. <laughs> there you go. It's good for all of us because they have wonderful ideas, but they're just a mess on a page. No one has taught them how to organize them into a coherent structure. So. I love graphic organizers. It's one of my favorite things when I discovered it. I use it myself as a writer and I encourage everyone from beginners all the way to really advanced students to to use them. Nice. I, I wonder, I have some graphic organizers and um, just so the listeners know that the reference for Todd Sundin mm -hmm. in our link. Um, yeah, it's well, a great or article. Anything else that we, we mentioned. And mm -hmm. I'll also pop in perhaps a link to um, some graphic organizers. Uh, that, That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. That we could provide so that they can see that strategy in action. That would be mm -hmm. probably very helpful if they're not already using it or if they want a, a new twist or a new take on, on their graphic organizers. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I wonder if you might want to talk about uh, how you would, if you've taught your students to use this graphic organizer. How do you then give feedback on their strategy use? Mm -hmm. um, and again, I'm going to pull you sideways no problem. <laughs> a little bit again. And this is another article that I read again after teaching high school and getting into teaching at university. And this is the reference. So the, the author is Grant Wiggins. Um, I believe it's 2012, but the, the title of the articles is Seven Keys to Effective Feedback. And he gives seven key things that, that feedback, so not just feedback, but effective feedback. What do we have to do to make help get the feedback to make it really help someone learn? Mm -hmm. um, and for writing, one of the, the, the key ones, I think, is what he calls goal-oriented. So he's, he gives the example of playing sports, you know, when you're, you, when you're a baseball player, you're, you know, your goal is to sort of hit the ball out into the field really far. So the coach has to give the, the player feedback on how they're hitting the ball in order to get the ball to go as far as it is. So the goal for writing, and I think so many people, again, even advanced writers forget this, the goal for really good writing is to transmit a clear and hopefully enjoyable message to your reader. A lot of the time we get so caught up in what's going on in our head, we forget what it sounds like when the other, when the person is reading. So for teachers and for um, giving feedback and for writing specifically, I'm trying to teach my future teachers to take what I call a think aloud approach. So when students give me writing, I'll write on the margin and instead of saying unclear, okay, which is what we get a lot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Unclear, but I'll often say, you know, as a reader, I'm finding it hard to understand what you're saying here. Did you mean this or did you mean this? 
And then I'll give a suggestion for improvement. So that was another one. It's actionable. So it's goal oriented and actionable. Maybe try saying this. Okay. Or perhaps try saying that. Um, so those are two that are really important. So goal oriented, trying to make it more clear or more enjoyable for the reader, and then what you can do to improve. And it's really helpful if you get that rather than getting a paperback just says unclear. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't know why it's unclear, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you want me to do about it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Would you ever comment on, or do you ever collect their brainstorming and the planning part to give mm -hmm. feedback on that before they actually submit something final? So you're commenting on the strategy use at that point? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I used to do really more formal writing process type activities, um, I would, I would collect all the stages or even better, I would circulate in the class and I would, I would engage with the students in a, in a little conversation and say, what have you got going on there? Oh, okay. Um, why did you put those two together? That's interesting. Have you thought about putting it this way? So just even some oral feedback while they're in those stages. Um, but I would, I used to give points for each part of the process, not just the finished product to encourage them and, and give them a little bit of feedback as they went through because, um, yeah, but it's too late by the time they get to the final draft. <laughs> yeah, I, and I know that when we do, we talk about the strategy of self self evaluation, or um, when we go back and look at our own writing. I, I know a lot of the kids. Um, we're, we just finished our exam period, and so the kids mm -hmm. have done their planning. They've done all the lead up to the actual written task, and then they do the rough draft, and then they simply recopy the rough yeah. draft again without actually thinking about what they're mm -hmm. doing. And so I would bring in some of my old um, emails from when I had worked for a publishing company and they were slashed and full of red and comments everywhere. And, and, the, and you explain to them, you know, even as an English speaker, who's quite competent in her, in her language, we all have to go back and revise and change things. So showing that editing process, I think is super important. Absolutely. Yeah. And one trick that um, I was told years ago and totally ignored, it's a, it's a strategy for writing. Um, and I totally ignored and I've now started to take it up very seriously because of the pandemic and because I've, I've had to create teaching videos for online is um, rather than giving live teaching, <laughs> is, is reading out loud what I've written. And it's, and it's, it's a, such a powerful strategy because when you read what you've written, you can hear how, how clear the message is or if you are going off on a tangent or if your sentence is too long or if you're missing a preposition or what you can actually even because as you if you read through it silently you don't hear it if you if you say it out loud you've slowed down enough and you can hear it and go oh that doesn't sound right at all let's change I actually that tell, i actually tell my students sometimes to read their texts backwards so yeah. they'll they'll notice that they're because they focus more on individual words when they mm -hmm. read i'm not going to get them to do an entire you know three page text that they're they're going through but if they're writing a short text to read it backwards because they become uh, very hyper aware of what the word looks like and mm -hmm. so if it looks a little irregular then they're a little more conscious of it or if they're using 
um, a homonym um, mm -hmm. and they've made a mistake or, or something, it, it becomes a little bit more clear because, oh, that's, a, that's not quite what I intended to say there. And, and mm -hmm. they can change it out in that process. Yeah, absolutely. I like the idea. And it's also, the, I mean, that's also why we ask students to do peer feedback um, because it's very hard for us to see or hear our own mistakes. Um, if you get someone with a fresh set of eyes coming in, they can see it too. But I think um, teachers have to be careful when we do peer feedback to give the students training and tools to do that effectively. We can't just say, here, read your friend's, thing, friend, friend's paper and give them feedback because um, they don't know how to do that. <laughs> so things yeah. like check, checklists are all the right letters capitalized, are all the right words capitalized. Uh, whatever it is that you notice are common mistakes, get them to sort of really, again, pay direct attention. This is all our strategies, right? We're going exactly. back to our strategies. Um, what are you going to focus on? So what are some of the things that you want them to really notice? Have you read this out loud? Is it clear? Does it make sense? Is there a section that is confusing to you or could use a little more information? Are there any words you think might have been misspelled? Circle them. You know, those these very specific and concrete instructions for a peer are helpful because if you just give it to to students, they'll go, "Yeah, it was fine." <laughs> it was very good. Yes. Yeah. Very good. I, I actually give my students a, a crash course in giving peer feedback before we do the exchange of texts, mm -hmm. and uh, in it we have to do the um, the sandwich. So they have something constructive uh, along with something kind to say mm -hmm. in the text writing, and so they have models of how to say it and not just what to say and what you're looking for. And mm -hmm. I usually put a put a, a minimum number of things that they should be looking for and commenting on. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about when, when they're doing their peer editing of um, correcting it for their peer? Yes. Or, so or for you, or do you, do you just simply underline and say this is a subject verb agreement issue? Or do you make that correction for them? What, what's a better strategy for, <laughs> for the students to, to learn from? So this is um, actually a lot of research has been done on this. So we could have a whole five hour conversation on this topic alone. So you're talking Podcast about direct number two, <laughs> <laughs> direct or indirect correction. Um, yeah. So very, very long, very long story short, when in doubt, give direct correction. So it is the is, the, you know, you can you can circle it and where you can put a little question mark if you're not sure. Um, but especially with beginners or if it's peer editing, just maybe tell the student to circle it or underline and, and put a suggestion for a change on the top. Okay. And that I, way I remember be being ambiguous. So there's a question of ambiguity. Yeah. So they're not quite sure, mm -hmm. it, you know, if, if I've made the correction on the spelling or if I've made the correction on the subject verb agreement and then mm -hmm. or the tense and then they just write another wrong tense you know it, yeah. it might be an issue yeah, of and, yeah and it goes back to what i was saying about you know being goal oriented and um actionable which is grant wiggins you know if they're not sure then circle it and say i don't know what you mean here did you mean this it's I like confusing to me as a reader. Question. Yeah, I like yeah. to add the question. Did you mean this mm -hmm. or this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's because that's exactly what's going on in your head as a reader. You're you're sort of confused, and if your reader is confused as a writer, you need to fix it. And it's and it's great because that's 
that's exactly what um, the student wants to know, to know is, you know, is, does my friend understand my stuff? Oh, she doesn't. Okay, well, I have to fix it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you do this kind of peer editing with the, the younger children as well in primary school? I'm not sure if we can do it to that extent. Um, I think you need to be have enough language skills to be sort of aware of some of the mistakes that you make. You can probably start to teach them to do this by just even doing stuff like um, capital letters, for example. Um, you can get them to trade and say, hey, check these words. Do they have capital letters? Put a square around your friend's capital letter or put a, you know, and then give it back. Very, very, very small and focused and concrete examples just to get them to train. Um, did they put a period at the end of the sentence, you know, circle the periods, every one of the periods that your friend put, and if they didn't put a, put a period and circle it for them, you know, very sort of basic, concrete, specific, but um, we can't expect them to do that independently. <laughs> no, of course not. Not yet. Mm -hmm. Not yet, anyways, eh? Mm -hmm. But it's good practice yeah, for when they... Now, mm -hmm. when, they're, when they're practicing, do you have that posted up on your on your smart board, or do the kids have Absolutely. Like a, a little mini version of of what they're looking for. How, how Absolutely. Do you make this very explicit for your, your novices and your more, more experienced learners. I always like to start out with, um, you know, it's called, I guess, direct instruction, but the, it's I do, we do, you do. So I do an example, the teacher models, then we do an example together as a class of what we're going to do. So I have it on the smart board or have it on the, the whiteboard and, and I do an example and I, and I sort of say, okay, as I'm reading the sentence, I'm circling this, do you guys see this? Great. Okay, good. Now let's try one together. Here's the next sentence. Where's the mistake or what is it that we're doing? And then we do it together and we do maybe a couple more. And then I say, okay, now sit with a partner and I want you to try it together. I'm going to circulate around and check and, and give you feedback on that. So I do, we do, you do. Um, nice. Oh, I like that little pyramid. That's great. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> Again, this is someone else's gradual release method, but it's a great way of, of really modeling how to do it um, and exactly what you want the students to do. So yeah, and as much visuals and repetition and examples and modeling, there's never too much of that. You you can know when it's too much when they're everyone is perfect and they're looking bored. <laughs> there you that. go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's not happening in any of our English. No, classes. not not even at university. <laughs> so there you go. That's great. Yeah. Um, so if you have um, you know, some some big advice for teachers wanting to revamp or maybe give teaching strategies explicitly go do you have you know a big uh, a big piece of advice or or a reference hmm. point i mean the two that i gave already are are fabulous um but i think the metaphor of the toolbox is really helpful mm -hmm. is to give your students as many tools as they possibly can because there's so many different learning styles um, and, and don't try and teach all of the tools at once. Focus on one tool at a time. Is there an ideal on. timing to do that? Um, no. Well, okay. <laughs> because curious. I wish, I wish there were a recipe for that and everyone wants the recipe, but I think, 
because we don't know who our students are and what, what kind of background they come in, everyone comes in at different levels. So you, you decide, okay, I want to teach this strategy. I'm going to start off by teaching this strategy. I'm going to be explicit. We're going to model it. We're going to, um, I do, we do, you do. Um, and, and I'm going to get them to practice it. And then the next time I do a new writing task, I'm going to remind them about that, check in and see how they're using it. And I'm going to teach them a new strategy. I think we've just about covered all of my questions. Is there anything that you would like to add before uh, before hmm. we sign off for our talk on writing strategies? I think there's one thing, um, and it's the writing and production process. I know, I know, sort of we go mm, the PFEQ, but one thing that really is interesting and so helpful for students is before they set out to write something whether it's um, a magazine po a magazine cover or a poster ad or a postcard or a letter or an email. It, the one thing that we really need to do is take time to look at examples and deconstruct them and say, okay, what kind of text is this? And they can say, well, it's a postcard. Okay, how do you know it's a postcard? What tells you it's a postcard? Nice, okay. Um, yeah, so sort of deconstruct some of those things together because that really sets them up for when they have to write their own postcard. They know that there has to be a greeting, there has to be a space for the address, there has to be a space for the stamp. And that goes for any kind of medium that they, that they write in. Um, and it's really helpful. It's, it'll really make the difference between them just producing a blob of text on the page or structuring it to make it as a recognizable medium for, for their reader. So that deconstruction part of the writing process, writing and production process, even with little kids, super helpful. Yeah, identifying the text type or... or yeah. Yeah, okay. And not just what the text type is, but what makes it a postcard? What makes it a picture book? What makes it a, you know... Yeah, and they get into that. They really enjoy it because that's that's part of their reality and part of their world. So if you can give them different kinds of text to write um, and show them how to identify the features of the text and reproduce them in their own writing, that's kind of fun for them too. Yeah, definitely. And I think that if they were taking a close look at what the format does to the message behind that text type, it's also mm -hmm. really important because it changes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, I, I'm definitely going to post the references for Todd Sundin and Grant Wiggins in the mm -hmm. um, podcast notes at the end. And um, I'll, I'll put up um, some sample planners as well. I think that might be helpful. And I just want to say thank you very much for oh, thank you. sharing. Yes, it was a real pleasure. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. <laughs> and Happy New Year, everyone. If you're interested in exploring the theory of learning strategies further or accessing some free strategy tools, don't forget to check out Philippa's references and the links to the extra tools in the podcast notes. Just before you hurry off for that second cup of coffee, I want to let you know that we are very excited about the new project we talked about earlier. Uh, it's called Espresso Shots, and it's a series of short vin uh, videos. They're all under a couple of minutes that deliver interesting language teaching tips and facts. The first videos will be complimentary to our strategy podcast series. So keep your eyes open on YouTube to subscribe. 
Thank you so much for joining us this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your fellow teachers. And if you like what I'm doing here, hit the subscribe button. I read each and every email and little bit of feedback that I get, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, or by email. So please don't be shy. Drop me a line. I welcome all your comments. If you've got questions or a podcast topic idea that you'd like to hear discussed on Chalk and Coffee, let me know by using the message button on Anchor FM. You simply hit it and record your message, and I'll try and answer your question in a future episode of the podcast. Welcome to Chalk and Coffee, where you can grab a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever you fancy, and sit back, relax, and join our extraordinary ESL community. Here, you'll meet like-minded educators dedicated to making a difference in the lives of their students and hone your craft. I'm Jacqueline Malay, the host of Chalk and Coffee, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. In our last episode with Martin Tremblay, we talked a little bit about teaching language with a capital L in the second language classroom. And it got me thinking about not only what we teach and how we teach, but how our students access that content. Today's podcast begins a short series on the topic of learning strategies in the ESL classroom. Getting our students to write and write confidently is tough. It requires a toolbox of strategies and skills for them to be able to thoughtfully and accurately communicate. In this first of three episodes, we'll be sharing some strategies to help our students become more confident when tackling the competency of writing. Here to help us deconstruct the idea of learning strategies for writing um, is Dr. Philippa Parks. Philippa Parks has been actively involved in the Quebec ESL community for many years, including giving workshops at our SPEAK conferences and representing Quebec at the Canadian Association of Second Language Teachers, CASLT, which is a great subscription if you are ever looking for one. Uh, She's taught ESL at, at secondary school in Montreal, authored several ESL materials, and she's been a course lecturer in the TESOL programs at McGill and the University of Quebec in Montreal, UCAM. She's recently started her new career as a professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Sherbrooke. Bravo. And her research focuses on second language teacher education, especially helping teachers become more effective and resilient in their teaching practice. So we are very lucky to have her here with us today. If you're interested in exploring the theory of learning strategies further or accessing some free strategy tools, don't forget to check out Philippa's references and the links to the extra tools in the podcast notes. Just before you hurry off for that second cup of coffee, I want to let you know that we are very excited about the new project we talked about earlier. Uh, It's called Espresso Shots, and it's a series of short uh, videos. They're all under a couple of minutes that deliver interesting language teaching tips and facts. 
the first videos will be complimentary to our strategy podcast series. So keep your eyes open on YouTube to subscribe. Thank you so much for joining us this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your fellow teachers. And if you like what I'm doing here, hit the subscribe button. I read each and every email and little bit of feedback that I get, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, or by email. So please don't be shy. Drop me a line. I welcome all your comments. If you've got questions or a podcast topic idea that you'd like to hear discussed on Chalk and Coffee, let me know by using the message button on Anchor FM. You simply hit it and record your message, and I'll try and answer your question in a future episode of the podcast. Welcome to Chalk and Coffee, where you can grab a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever you fancy, and sit back, relax, and join our extraordinary ESL community. Here, you'll meet like-minded educators dedicated to making a difference in the lives of their students and hone your craft. I'm Jacqueline Millay, the host of Chalk and Coffee, and I'm so glad you're here with us today.